A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome to Murder Mile, a true crime podcast, an audio guided walk featuring many of London's untold, unsolved and long forgotten murders, all set within and beyond the West End. Today's episode is about the hunt for the murderer of Alice Gross. With rape as a motive, but no clear link to any suspect, the attack seemed almost random. And although their encounter was entirely by chance, a cruel twist of fate may have decided her death just three years before she was even born. Murder Marley's research used authentic sources. It contains moments of satire, shock, and grisly details. And as a dramatization of the real events, it may also feature loud and realistic sounds, so that no matter where you listen to this podcast, you'll feel like you're actually there. My name is Michael, I am your tour guide, and this is Murder Mile. Episode 121, The Yellow Ribbons of Hanwell, Part 2. Today, I'm standing on Castle Bar Road in Ealing, W5 four miles west of the flat, shared by the killers of Vincent Patrick Carey, three miles northwest of the Chiswick Cat Ladies, one street northwest of the newsagents where the sadistic Polish rapist Andrzej Konowski lured his penultimate victim, and one and a half miles southeast of the bloodbath at Gurnall Grove, coming soon to Murder Mile. Ealing is one of the borough's seven towns, including Acton, Greenford, Perryvale, Northholt, Southall, and on its westerly border is Hanwell. As a settlement since the Iron Age, Ealing comes from the Saxon word Gilligas, which fittingly means place of the people, being a nice place to live and work. Skirting north of Ealing Broadway sits Castlebar, a B road heading to Hanwell. As a residential street, shoehorned full of townhouses, terraces, flats and care homes, it's the kind of place where everyone is pleasant to one another. In passing, they may nod, wave and utter a cheery, how do you do? Only to dart inside, pry open the curtains and lambast their partner, as after a decade of niceties, the worst crime of all would be the shame of asking their neighbour, I'm sorry, but what is your name? 
halfway up the hill, opposite a little V-shaped patch of grass called Tortoise Green, sits 42 Castlebar Road. A three-storey, semi-detached, light brown house with large white windows, a black iron fence, and like so many overpriced London houses, it was subdivided into several rented flats. Today it's a lovely home, which I'm assured houses some thoroughly pleasant persons. But just seven years ago, the basement flat was rented out to a builder with a baby, a bride-to-be, and a bicycle. And although hard-working, none of the residents knew about his deadly past or his sadistic obsession. As far as we know, its tenant never knew Alice. She never knew him. And although, as he cycled home from work, the murder of a young girl might not have been on his mind, in a chance encounter, there may have been something oddly familiar about Alice, which stirred his emotions and drove him to kill. As it was here, on Thursday the 4th of September 2014, exactly one week after her disappearance, that 41-year-old Arna Selkins vanished, leaving behind a family and taking one more life. Missing for four days, Rosalind made an appeal to her daughter. We'd like to say to Alice that we miss her, we love her, and that she's not in any trouble. All we want to know is that she's safe. Being a grounded girl, Alice's only vices were walks, pets and music. She avoided conflict, strangers, unsafe settings, and she didn't keep any secrets. As having opened her heart to her family about her battle with depression and anorexia, their love and support had kept her strong. She had never run away from home, but every option had to be considered, even the unthinkable. And although her family and the people of Hanwell never lost hope, as the streets were radiated by blooms of bright yellow ribbons in a vigil to find Alice, as time eroded, the likelihood of finding her alive grew more distant. If someone had taken her, the question was who and why. On day five, Having found her black backpack and trainers hidden amongst a dense thicket on a remote river towpath, although it remained a missing persons case until the evidence suggested otherwise, it was escalated to Detective Superintendent Carl Meta of the Met Police's Serious Crime Command. Conducting one of London's largest searches, hundreds of dogs and officers scoured 10 square miles of dense impenetrable woodland, overgrown unmapped and riddled with dank nooks and recesses. From three bridges to Brentford Lock, the River Brent to the Hanwell Flight, covering every conceivable spot from Trumpers Way to Gallows Bridge and Boston Manor Park. As divers waded through three and a half miles of unnavigable rivers, ponds and bogs, relying mostly on touch amidst its silty depths. 
Over the coming weeks, a jigsaw of CCTV footage would painstakingly rebuild a timeline of Alice's last known movements. And yet, it would yield very few clues to her whereabouts. As at that very crucial moment, between 4.23pm and 4.42pm, her digital history had a dead zone. It seemed impossible. How could a young girl, with a very identifiable look, outfit and walk, vanish from a moderately busy towpath on a summer's day in broad daylight, and yet nobody saw a thing? As a senior detective, DSI Carl Meta had been investigating this as a potential homicide, looking for any anomalies and potential suspects. On Saturday the 6th of September at 5pm, a 25-year-old Ealing man was arrested but later bailed. And on Sunday the 7th, after a tip-off, a 51-year-old local man was arrested after a shovel, ropes and sacks were found in the boot of his car but he was later released uncharged. Alice hadn't vanished of her own volition. That much was clear, so somebody had to know something. But even before these arrests were made, DSI Meta had a second line of inquiry and a suspect. On average, 55,000 people go missing in London every year with roughly 33 missing persons reported in the borough of Ealing every week. And that week was no different. Excluding Alice, to the DSI, this list was a typical mix of the borough's most vulnerable, whether children, the elderly, or the mentally distressed, many of whom would return home safe and well. But one person's details stood out. On Friday the 5th of September, a 41-year-old Latvian was reported missing by his girlfriend. His passport and bank accounts lay untouched. Both his UK and Latvian phones were dead. CCTV had lost him one day earlier. And as a new dad with a good job and a baby daughter, he had no reason to vanish. Last seen cycling away from his basement flat at 42 Castlebar Road, his disappearance had eerie similarities to Alice. Only he wasn't the victim, but the prime suspect. And his name was Arnis Salkins. Little is known about his early years, except for a few scant details. And although his family would later state he was a good man, who wouldn't hurt anyone, especially a child. His past would refute this. Physically, he was unremarkable, being neither hideous, handsome nor bland. As an average-looking man of 5 foot 10 inches tall, slightly stocky and 13 stone in weight, he mirrored many other welders in the dockyard. He was practical, good with his hands, and had the skills to construct his own tools. With a jutting chin, piercing grey eyes, and a brown ponytail, he was semi-successful 
in his pursuit of petite young ladies. And although moderately charming, his overriding character was aggression. In the spring of 1994, in a Riga nightclub, Arnis met 19-year-old seamstress Rudita Zalkins. With soft brown hair, pale skin, and a pixieish nose, there was something prepubescent about her elfin features and doll-like figure. As if, being a little naive, her mind and body remained as a little girl. And easily enchanted, ignoring her mother's warnings, she fell madly in love and quickly fell pregnant. By December 1994, hiding her bulging belly under a pink maternity dress, Arnis and Rudita married, with their daughter Elvira born just two months later. But life was far from bliss, as Arnis was cruel, abusive and controlling. With the cause uncertain, whether Rudita had dented his ego having began a lesbian flink, or stumbled upon his alleged links to the Latvian Mafia, the violence she suffered was irrefutable. In 1996, having handmade a low-caliber handgun, with his masculinity impugned, he shot her in the stomach. Surviving with a crushed bullet lodged in her spine, being too terrified to call the police, and with Arnis refusing to pay for a surgeon to remove it, she was stitched back up, and there it remained. By March 1997, with his temper tightly wound, as his wife dared to go out without him or his say-so, feeling paranoid and spurned, he callously prepared her death. Under the ruse of a gift, he lured Rudita to a remote woodland on the outskirts of Riga, where his weapons lay in wait. Wielding a foot-long kosh, he had fashioned from a scaffolding pole. He frenziedly bludgeoned this tiny girl to unconsciousness, and brandishing a handmade blade, he stabbed her through the heart. Stripped naked, tied into a fetal position, and stuffed into a bin bag, Arnis dumped her body in a pre-dug three-foot grave. Discarding her clothes and trainers, he disguised the crime scene so that, even to experts, it looked untouched. His planning was detailed, and his execution was faultless. But his failure was his obsession. Rudita was dead and gone, but unable to sleep and being haunted by her face, all he could think about was Rudita. Reporting her missing, detectives found her diary in which she detailed the violence and the despair she suffered. And as the police's prime suspect, on the 9th of July 1997, just four months later, he confessed to her murder. So well concealed was his wife's body that Arnis himself had to guide the search teams to her grave. Assessed as mentally stable, he pleaded guilty to murder 
and on the 19th of June 1998, he was sentenced to 12 years in Riga Central Prison. On appeal, this was reduced to eight, but he served only seven. Released on probation in 2005, leaving Elvira without a father or a mother, he moved to Lapaya, began a new life with a lady called Liga Rabinowitz. They had two children, and keen to bury his criminal past, and maybe still unable to let go, he changed his surname from Daxa to Zalkins, the surname of his dead wife. In 2007, Arnis Zalkins, a welder with no previous criminal convictions, boarded a coach from Riga to London, having never been placed on Interpol's watch list of violent offenders. Moving to the West Ealing suburb of Boston Manor, he worked on a building site in Arzelworth, cycled his Red Trex mountain bike along the Grand Union Canal, and starting a relationship with his new girlfriend, Katerina Leblov. They would later move into the basement flat at 42 Castle Bar Road in Ealing, and together they had a daughter called Linda. He had a new life, in a new world, with a new family. Only his old demons were never put to rest. In 2009, triggered by either lust, rage or obsession, Arnis Salkins was arrested for the sexual assault of a 14-year-old schoolgirl in Boston Manor Park. A densely overgrown woodland by the towpath on the Hanwell flight, just one and a half miles south of Lock 97. And although fully investigated, the terrified girl decided not to proceed, and the charges against him were dropped. For DSI Carl Meta, Arnis Zalkins was his prime suspect. With a history of violence and sexual assault against petite young girls, his physical description and mountain bike matched the footage of the Trumpers Way Bridge, and his DNA matched a sample which had been found on Alice's backpack and her trainer. On Tuesday the 16th of September, DSI Meta took the very unusual step of announcing Zelkins as a person of interest, stating, We simply want to speak to him, as he may have information that can help in our search for Alice. The next day, police released CCTV footage showing Alice crossing the short black and white footbridge at Brentford Gaging Lock at 3.45pm on the day she disappeared. At 4pm, just 15 minutes later, that same footage showed Arnis crossing the footbridge and cycling north up the canal. So why did Arnis attack Alice? He didn't know her, he had never met her, and based on the evidence, it wasn't a premeditated murder. If anything, their contact would be as fleeting as any other stranger they would pass on the towpath that day, with Arnis as one of many anonymous cyclists who were heading home from work, and Alice as just another jogger keeping fit. Thursday the 28th of August 2014, 
was as unremarkable as any other day that summer. Being 23 degrees, sunny but not hot, and calm with a light breeze, it was the perfect weather for a walk. At 12.50pm, with a matching outfit, a confident stride, and a swinging ponytail, Alice left home on a spontaneous walk via an improvised route decided by her mood and energy. Her speed was consistent as she passed the following locations. 1.02pm, Hanwell Station. 1.13pm, Hanwell Bridge. 1.15pm, Uxbridge Road. And 1.26pm, she entered Windmill Lane and the Hanwell Flight. She passed Lock 97, The Siphon, Trumpers Way Bridge, Elthorne Park, Osterley Lock, the M4 flyover and Boston Manor Park. She crossed over a gallows bridge, past Transport Avenue, the Great Western Road, and at 2.23pm she entered Brentford Gaging Lock, where at 3pm she texted her dad. At no point during her walk south did Arnis see her, as from 9am that morning, he was on a building site in Isleworth, three and a half miles south of her home and one mile west of Brentford Lock. He worked hard, he took a short break, his mood was good, and he left work at his usual time. At 3.35pm, wearing a bluish short-sleeved shirt, cream chinos and black trainers, he cycled east along London Road on his Red Trex mountain bike with a black rucksack on his back. Given how meticulously he had planned and executed the murder of his wife, with a pre-dug grave, a handmade cosh, a sharpened knife, a set of cable ties and a roll of black bin bags, as well as how methodically he had hidden her body and disguised the crime scene so it looked untouched. We know his attack on Alice wasn't premeditated prior to this moment, as none of the tools he would need were on his person or at the scene. At 3.45pm, Alice headed north across the black and white footbridge of Brentford Lock. At 4pm, taking his usual route home, Arnis cycled past that same spot, heading up the canal in the same direction as Alice. As many joggers, dog walkers and at least four other cyclists would, at roughly that same time. With her walking speed gauged at three miles an hour and his cycling speed at about eight, they would have passed one another on the narrow towpath near to Boston Manor Park. The site of his alleged sexual assault on a 14-year-old schoolgirl. At 4.26pm, a camera captured Alice being overtaken by the last of five cyclists at the Trumpers Way Bridge. Her speed was steady and she showed no sense of fear. So if Arnis had confronted her near Gallows Bridge, she could have left the canal on this road heading to Hanwell. But she didn't. Having cycled to Lock 97, Arnis stopped, parked up his bike, and just to the left of Lock Cottage, down a secluded and overgrown shortcut running alongside the River Brent. 
he lit up a Lucky Strike menthol, and as he lay in wait, he smoked it down to the filter. So why Alice? A girl he never knew, had never met, and hadn't a single reason to either love or hate. Who was just one of hundreds, if not thousands of girls, he had cycled by every day on that stretch of the canal. Well, that we can never know for certain. But there is one immutable and undeniable truth. Alice was a tiny girl, with the wise head of a grown-up, but the small skinny body of a child. Being pixieish and petite, with elfin-like features and a doll-like frame, although she was unquestionably easy prey for a 5'10", 13-stone man, her look bore an uncanny similarity to that of his dead wife. Seventeen years after Rudita's murder, still haunted by the face of his long-dead lover, the motive of Arnis Salkins might have been decided in a fleeting glance, from behind and on a bike, as in a cruel ironic twist, the tragic fate of Alice Cross was maybe set in motion three years before she was even born. The attack was swift and brazen. It had to be. Being a bright summer's day, he snatched Alice off the public footpath, silenced her lips with his grubby hand, and as he dragged the terrified teen into the bushes, all the while, throughout her ordeal, lines of unwitting people would pass by, just a few feet away. For Arnis, the risk of being discovered was extremely high. But right there, hidden amongst the dense thicket, he raped this little girl until his 83-kilo bulk crushed the last breath of air from her tiny lungs. Evidence suggests that sex was the motive, not murder. But with Alice's limp and lifeless body slumped beside him, his new motive was her disposal. As he had with his dead wife, he needed to hide her so no one would find her. Ever. Only with no plan, no tools, and no pre-dug grave, he risked arrest. At 5.49pm, 75 minutes later, and at about the same time that Alice should have returned home, a camera on the Oxbridge Road caught Arnis emerging from the towpath at Hanwell Bridge. In his bag was stashed her dead iPhone, possibly some of her clothes, and having dumped her backpack along the overgrown shortcut, we know he had entered the river as the legs of his cream chinos were rolled up to his knees. At 7.30pm, he left his home. In his rucksack was a shovel, a torch, spare clothes, and a roll of black bin bags. Where he found the four house bricks and the broken bicycle wheel is unknown. But this kind of innocent detritus could easily be found at the canal, having been dumped by any lazy fly-tipper. At 7.46pm, the Hanwell Bridge camera caught him returning to the scene, where he stayed until 8.49pm. 
wading chest deep into this isolated and unnavigable bend on the River Brent. He dug a shallow trench in the dark riverbed, and having wrapped her small porcelain body in black bin bags, behind a tree, down a slope, and buried deep in three feet of silty water, he disguised this unrecognisable black lump amongst the mud and weighed her down with bricks, sections of tree trunk, and a 20-kilo log. So meticulously had he hidden the body of Alice Gross that she wouldn't be found for 33 days. The next day, that same camera on the Hanwell Bridge captured him at 6.48am and 9.02pm, returning to the scene, possibly to check on the body, as he cycled to and from work along that same towpath. With her black backpack and blue trainers found just five days later, that day, his internet search history was dominated by one name, Alice Gross. On Thursday the 4th of September at 12.40am, one week after her disappearance, 41-year-old Arnis Selkins left his flat at Castlebar Road and having packed a rucksack with ropes and tools, he vanished. Announced as a person of interest, a forensic search found additional evidence, including the bin bags, his bike, his clothes, and the cracked case to Alice's iPhone at his home. As well as hours of CCTV footage, the cigarette butt found at the crime scene, and Zalkin's DNA was recovered from her backpack, her canvas trainer, and protected by the waterproof bin bags. His DNA remained on her skin. The police were confident of a conviction. All they had to do was find him. But after 31 days of being missing, Arnis Zalkins was finally found. On Saturday the 4th of October at 2pm, in a remote and densely wooded thicket in Boston Manor Park, barely a mile south of Lock 97, the badly decomposed body of Arnis Zalkins was found hanging from a tree. So well disguised was his body that a previous search by police specialists had failed to find it, and with no evidence of third-party involvement, his cause of death was hanging by suicide. The culprit was found, the case was closed, and an inquest was held. But having taken his own life, Arnis Salkins would never be convicted, and the family of Alice Gross would never get justice. On the 23rd of October 2014, the people of Hanwell stood in silence as a black hearse crawled across Broadway. Illuminated by yellow ribbons, candles and flowers, in the back lay a small yellow coffin, decorated with paintings and designs of everything that Alice loved. But Alice's name was not to become synonymous with grief, 
for joy. In her brief life, her love of music would become her legacy, a legacy which lasts to this day and will continue to inspire a new generation of children and teenagers to battle through their personal problems just as Alice had and to embrace the things that they love. In her memory, Alice's Youth Music Memorial Fund was established, raising donations and seeking to provide a substantial legacy of music making for disadvantaged children, as well as the Alice Gross Songwriting Award, which inspires a new generation of young songwriters. Alice will forever live in our hearts, with the yellow ribbons of Hanwell once again seen as a symbol of hope. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to Murder Mile. That was the concluding part of the Yellow Ribbons of Hanwell. If you'd like to learn a little more about this case, join me for a cup of tea after the break. And to make a donation to Alice's Youth Music Memorial Fund, there is a link in the show notes. But before that, here's a brief promo to a true crime podcast which may be right up your street. Hello everyone, this is Robin Warder, host of the true crime podcast, The Trail Went Cold. If you grew up watching the classic television show Unsolved Mysteries, then this is the podcast for you. Each week, I profile a new unsolved murder or missing persons case and share all the baffling details. Afterward, I provide my own personal analysis and theories about what might have happened. This is a show for true crime buffs who are fascinated by cold cases and love to discuss them and pick them apart in an attempt to figure out the truth. So be sure to check out our podcast to learn about some truly bizarre unsolved mysteries where the trail went cold. A big thank you to my new Patreon supporters, many of whom joined us a good few weeks ago, so once again I apologise for the delay. They are Sally Worsley, Jonathan McLean, Shauna Iwasiuk, Elizabeth Whiteley, George Hall, Guido Puddy, Kim Squara, Chris Nero, Shirley Jones, Michelle Wilde-Nigan, Megan Morris and T. Bilo with the Patreon competition winners from ages ago being Michael Hanrahan, who won a Murder Mile mug of goodies, and Karen Hillier and Cara Langford, who won a Murder Mile keyring. Ooh! Murder Mile was research written and performed by myself, with the main musical themes written and performed by Eric Stein and John Books of Cult With No Name. Thank you for listening, and sleep well. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I don't know why I always look at my script for that end bit. The Middermar was researched and performed by myself with the main musical themes written and performed by Eric Stein and John Boogs of Cult with No Name. I've said it like a hundred and odd times. I know it well. Why am I why do I still look at the script? God dear, that was a that was a long record. Made even longer because I'm gonna I'm gonna take away my uh, sound boom thing. Uh, there we go. Put that out of the way so I can go to the kitchen in a bit. Um, made even worse because I've had an eye infection. I've still got a bloody eye infection. Oh, bloody eye infection. Let me go and make a tea and a coffee because it's bloody cold out today. And my, my cup of coffee went cold quick. Hang on. Windows open, doors open because it's all... It's all... Um, it's very nice outside today. It's, it's, it's a nice clear day. But... Because uh, I thought it'd be, it was quite warm last night, so I didn't put a fire on. Therefore, it's all uh, there's a lot of condensation in, in the boat this morning. So uh, hang on, tea on. Uh, where to put my cup? Why am I asking you? I put it there. Right, cup of tea. Tea in, tea bag on. Oh, sugar. Whoops. There we go. And a little treat as well. Oh, exciting. A little treat. A Mrs. Crimble's macaroon. Ooh. If you haven't had a macaroon before, they're great. They're just, they're basically just a biscuit. Both nice and soft made of coconut. And they're very nice. So that's going on the side. It's not Mrs. Crimble's one with the chocolate on the bottom. I thought it was, but it wasn't. But that will do me just fine. Thank you very much. Lovely. So yeah, I've had a eye infection for about five days. It's been a real pain in the ass. So I'm a day late recording this because I haven't been able to see the screen. I've still been writing, but it's hard to write when you can't see the screen and your eyes are streaming and you can't sleep and you're snotting everywhere. And it's uh, so yeah, I 
I dashed out and bought loads of uh, loads of all this stuff that you're meant to buy. That's meant to be like, oh, buy this and it help you with an eye infection. It's like you know, eight quid a go or ten quid a go, and da da da. da and you pop it in, and it's like it's not doing any good. And then I went to the NHS website, which is always a good source of information. And I was like, eye infection, and they went, they went, uh, yeah, uh, get some cotton wool and some hot water and just bathe it. And that's that's been that's really helped. I was like, within an hour, I was like brilliant yeah my eye feels much better so uh yeah it still hurts today but it's not as bad as it was so that's been good oh eye infection and snotting brilliant uh, that's what you've tuned in for uh what else we got uh hope everyone's enjoyed if you if you haven't subscribed to the, the patron thing i've set up a, a new uh, thing recently which is very exciting it's called walk with me it's an uh, a new episode that goes out every week it's after i've finished editing i do a little bit of a walk. You can join me on a walk. I talk about the episode we've just done. I talk about the future episodes. And the last couple of weeks, I've been walking up a track which people seem to be using for dogging. So there's lots of cars there and lots of flashing of lights. And I always have a little walk up there to to see see how many people I recognise. <laughs> Obviously, I don't. Um, so that's all good. Just as a crime con update, everyone, just so you know, um, we've just had confirmation that because of changes, because uh, of COVID uh, lockdown or changes of dates, um, the new dates are, as mentioned before, Saturday the 25th and Sunday the 26th of September 2021. So it's cool. Tease up. Hang on. Hold that thought. Hold that thought. Water in. Let that stew, and then by the time I finish talking about crime con, then I'll be done. So uh, that's Saturday the twenty fifth and Sunday the twenty sixth of September. Uh, if you've already bought tickets, they will have already announced it for you. Uh, this is actually better because I think uh, lockdown restrictions were kind of meant to be tailing away kind of Juneish time. So this is a little bit too close. Uh, so the new September date will will probably be in a much better place by then. So if you want to buy tickets, go to crimecon.co.uk. Um, as mentioned before, it's the ultimate true crime weekend partnered by the Crime Investigation Channel. You're going to meet loads of detectives there. You're going to meet loads of authors. There's podcasters row. I'm going to be there. Come along. Say hello. Um, if you want to get a discounted ticket, go to the website. Type in mile. You get a discount there. It's going to be all good fun. There's lo- going to be loads of us there. And there's uh, uh, me and a, a couple of other podcasters are doing a, a, a bit of a, a... It's not really a lecture, but a presentation. So that will be good. We're looking forward to that. So please do come and join us. Uh, right. Last week, obviously... Oh, tea stewed. I almost... See, I almost did it then. I almost forgot to grab tea. Uh, and of course, uh, oops, hang on, popping me powdered milk. Oh, yummy, look at it. Oh, yummy. Cool, it's like wartime. There you go, I've got my powdered milk. Next up, I'll treat myself to some powdered egg, uh, some spam, and I'll start singing songs of, by Vera Lynn. There we go. Whoa, I remember the good old days. Right, uh, obviously last week we didn't get to do much about the case because I didn't want to ruin uh, what was going to happen with this episode. So I can dive into a lot of it now. This is all good. So as mentioned, uh, Arnis Elkins, real name, Arnis uh, Daxa. We don't really know much about his early life. We know his height, his weight, as mentioned, is about 5 foot 10, which is 1.77 metres tall. He was uh, 83 kilos. This is all kind of useful. I... 
you would have noticed that I put it into episode one how much she weighed, how much he weighed, because you need to know that, that he is he's more than double her weight. He's he's uh, eight inches taller, but he's more than double her weight. She's tiny. He's he's relatively bulky. So uh, as as we saw with the Camden Ripper, again compression asphyxiation. Do you know uh, rough sex in this case rape. Uh, uh, causing compression of the lungs, cracking of the lungs, ergo she can't breathe, therefore she dies. Uh, uh, there, there was no, there didn't seem to be any other, other wounds to her. Uh, it was never mentioned in any of the reports. There was no strangulation there, so it was the uh, cause of death was compression asphyxia. Uh, let's see what we've got. So Rudita Zalkins, his uh, former wife. Uh, uh, if you, uh, as mentioned before, if you if you are a patron subscriber, I know I know I keep waffling on about it, but literally for two pounds a month, you get a lot of extra goodies. With this, I've drawn up maps as well, so you can see, uh, so you can follow the routes. I've taken pictures of all the locations and I'm uh, putting all the back uh, history pictures in there as well, so it's really useful. Uh, but you'll get to see a picture of uh, Rudita Salkins. And when you look at the similarity between Rudita and Alice Gross, it's kind of uncanny. You know, they're both small, they're both petite, they're both elfin life like, they've both got kind of a, a pixieish little nose, they've got the same type of hair. You can imagine, you, you wouldn't want to, but you can imagine him cycling along the canal, kind of seeing her from behind, small and petite, the kind of thing he likes. And when you turn to the side, he probably would have overtaken yeah, overtaken her at the side. He sees a similar type face. So, do you know, it was because obviously she's dead, he's dead. So he can't explain why he did it. He never left a note or anything like that. So obviously we're having to take a lot of this on face value. But the evidence does show that it wasn't premeditated uh, to the point. I had to rewrite that in when we we're editing this. I had to put because it because premeditation can be across a year or it can be like a second so if people say it wasn't premeditated if you grab if you literally grab a knife that is premeditated so because uh, you put thought into it it's not just a, an instant reaction so uh uh so yeah uh so yeah uh, um yeah um but obviously like as mentioned before he had attacked a young girl who was 14 year old uh in boston manor park so he's got a bit of a thing for kind of uh, very petite girls um Rudita, obviously, he met her in a nightclub. She was only very young at the time, but he was exactly what uh, uh, he was after. She fell pregnant very quickly. Uh, they got married in a small ceremony in Riga in December 1994. Uh, it's unclear whether he took her name at that point, because uh, her name is Zalkins and he, he was a, a Daxa. Uh, but it's it's more than likely that he took it after he'd come out of prison. Uh, I've got a photo uh, uh, there's a photo online about uh, showing them getting married as well she doesn't exactly look happy can you blame her Um, a lot of the information we get it's slightly biased but a lot of it's from uh, Rudita's mother Vittoria uh she really hated Arnis. she really did uh she said once you have tasted blood the taste stays I never liked him he was a control freak and had a temper all the time um uh at first my daughter said she'd been shot this was the 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 initial shooting uh when he shot her in the stomach with the handmade handgun uh first my daughter said uh she had been shot by a random guy in a motorbike uh she was too scared to say it was zulkins uh she only told us a few months later she didn't want to tell us or the police because she was scared of him but less than a year later he killed her 
nasty piece of work, that man. Uh, as mentioned before, it was a low caliber gun, so he, he shot her. It went into her stomach. It, it pained against uh, her spine, um, uh, and obviously uh, uh, he refused to uh, pay for a surgeon to have it removed. So the kind of the bullet stayed there, which is one of the ways they were able to identify her body uh, when they later found her. Um, there's not really a lot to tell you about the murder itself. I've kind of put it all in the episode itself. Um, it, it was uncertain. He said, this was his confession. He said that she had been started, uh, she'd started having a, a, a lesbian affair and going out with other women and taunting him with that. Uh, uh, Rudita's mother said that's a complete lie. Uh, he was getting involved with uh, drugs gangs and Latvia Mafia. We don't really have evidence for that. But, you know, um, something happened. It could... It, uh, personally, I think he was just controlling. I think he just didn't like the fact that she was going out and enjoying herself and he wasn't allowed to be involved. Uh, so he made a kosh out of a bit of scaffolding pole. He cut it down. It's about a foot long. If you've... Uh, st- st- uh, steel or aluminium scaffolding poles are pretty tough pretty horrible stuff uh, uh, he also made an 8 inch knife uh, using uh, uh, with a handle with electrical tape on it he had all of these uh, in that location in Riga ready to kill he had already pre-dug the grave uh, so I mean this, this is this is why it's, it's important to go back to this history to show you what his mind is like he is a premeditator he knows he wants to kill he knows he want, knows exactly what he wants to do he's dug the grave he knows he's going to cosh her he knows he's going to stab her in the heart he knows and some of the similarities are here obviously he doesn't just dump her in the ground he strips her then dumps her in the ground then buries the clothes elsewhere uh, do you know the similarities going on there again a three foot grave uh here alice was buried three feet down as well uh he put uh, other stuff on top of the grave to kind of disguise it and then he made it look so uh soil and leaves and rocks and things like that obviously this is wooded ground so it make it's easier to kind of hide it but he disguised it so it was impossible for the police to find it exactly as he did with alice uh i didn't mention this here but he uh he grabbed himself a bottle of vodka um uh started swigging uh as he stood over the grave and then afterwards he uh he went to the police uh he if you notice he did the same with alice as well he went to the corner shop and he picked up a couple of beers i'll go into that very shortly uh her daughter uh, uh vittoria who was rudita's uh mother said uh rudita even though she was small she could handle herself do you know she was uh she'd spent years training to do uh karate um so even though she was she was little you know she's quite a tough cookie as well but so it was it was a surprise attack from behind again with alice surprise attack running jogging along the canal doesn't expect to be dragged it's daylight he would have put his hand over her mouth silenced her dragged her into the bushes she would be terrified so um uh, there's a lot of similarities here uh obviously um I, uh, we don't really mention much about Elvira, who was their child. So Rudita and Arnis's child uh, uh, was born uh, uh, two months after they were married. So by the, by the age of kind of one slash two, if you think about it, the, the, that poor child had, didn't have a father because the father was in prison and the mother was dead. So the, uh, the child had to go and live with uh, uh, the, the grandmother who was there, Victoria, who I mentioned. Um, 
there's a there's a lot of fallout from that. Uh, like Elvira's uh, grandfather, I think I think she said he he, he uh, yeah a railway worker. He turned to drink uh, and was later admitted to a psychiatric hospital. He died in two thousand three at the age of seventy five. Uh, Elvira um, didn't know much about her her mother and only started hearing stories about what had happened to her mother when she was about age seven when the other kids in the playground started mentioning it, which is quite sad. Uh, I don't know. Uh, post prison, so uh, mentioned he went to prison. He he was sentenced to twelve years. He served. Uh, it was reduced to eight, but he served seven. This is because he'd already uh, done one year on remand. He was released. Believed at that point, he took his uh, wife's surname, uh, which is why it's hard to kind of track him down. He was on probation at that point, so he was held under very, uh, supposedly strict probation conditions, but it doesn't seem to be that strict. Do you know, he was able to change his name. He started a new relationship. He moved to a different um, a different town, uh, and then he moved out of the country. Um, he was able to come to this country because uh latvia had become part of the eu in 2003 i think their referendum was 03 then i think it became eu country 04 uh uh yes and he was released in 05 um he was able to come to the country not on the pa- not on a passport but on uh, using his national id card obviously on his id card it, it said uh Arnis Zalkins, not Arnis Daska. therefore he wasn't put he wasn't put on the uh, uh Interpol's watch list either therefore when he came into the country he, he was just a regular guy you know um but and uh we'll, we'll get into something about that very shortly uh came here started a new relationship so if you imagine it he's already got one child in uh latvia with the the wife he's murdered then with uh liga rubinowitz i believe her name was the second one he got two children with her and then he had had another child with uh his new girlfriend when he moved to the uk uh katarina labelov uh who we moved in with at, at uh castle bar so they just had a one-year-old child so he's got four children by that point Jesus Christ, man, keep it in your pants. Um, 2009, the dates on this are uncertain, but this is the the sexual assault of the 14-year-old girl. Uh, so uh, he w- he was arrested for it for it's it's uh, indecently assaulting a 14-year-old girl. This was in Boston Manor Park. So he was living in Boston Manor at the time, which is uh, as mentioned before, a little sub- suburb in West Ealing. It's just sa- just south of Hanwell. Uh, he was using the canal a lot on his bike. He said he would go along there quite a lot to go to work, but he'd also pick berries. He'd pick berries to make a slow gin. Um, the indecent assault, there's very few details about this, as you can appreciate. She was only a young girl at the time. She didn't want her details in the press. It was quite a traumatic experience. She didn't want it to go any further. Do you know, it's understandable. She she wouldn't want to have to go to court and have to face him again. And, you know, she's probably terrified, so she... So she dropped the dropped the charges, uh, put it behind her. Uh, because of that, he was uh, bailed. Uh, the police said at the time um, there was no checks done on foreign convictions. Uh, that what it is now, but uh, at that point they were not mandatory to do. But think about it. Even if they had, um, uh, he wouldn't have come up on the system because he was down as Arnest Zalkins, not Arnest Dasker, which is what his name was under. He wasn't on the Interpol 
Europol watch list. Uh, and in Latvia, anyway, uh, on the ACRO system, there uh, the Latvian policy is to d- frustrating is to delete murder convictions after eight years. After eight years, that's absolutely disgraceful. So uh, you think you'd think if someone was convicted of murder, it would be on their list. You know, shoplifting not really a problem. Murder mm, might be worth keeping it on the list. Uh, anyway, yep, the police went over to Latvia. Um, by this point, this is uh, Tuesday, the twenty third of September. They'd already been over once before. I think they first went over on like the tenth of September. Uh, they'd already been working very closely with the Latvian police because they believed that he was possibly there if he was to have fled they thought he's he's fled to latvia do you know they knew he'd been missing from the 4th of september so they were like where is this man he's, he's not at work his phone's off he hasn't got his passport because that's still at home but he's using his he can use his national id card to get on a coach and go wherever he wants to in europe uh but he 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 didn't seem to be using his uh, credit cards, so uh, they believed he was probably using cash. That's why they went to Latvia to try and find him. Um, this was going to be problematic for them because at that point, 24th of September, they'd got enough pieces of evidence to... They'd already said, this is this is a, a key suspect. This is a, a, a person of interest. Uh, but the problem is they hadn't got enough to nail it down. They hadn't got the DNA, hadn't come back at that point. They hadn't found Alice's body you know uh there was a lot that they didn't know um but they knew they they really suspected him as, in connection with her disappearance and they wanted to talk to her the problem was if he had gone back to latvia because the police weren't in a position to charge him at that point uh the latvian police couldn't do anything about it they couldn't detain him uh he they couldn't get an arrest warrant so they were kind of in a in a really difficult situation do you know if he'd fled they were stuck. They just needed to keep going, and they did. If, as you can see, the you know, one of the largest manhunts uh, in in uh, London history, uh, the largest search since the seven seven bombings. I mean, it was huge. Uh, but they kept trying. They kept kept plodding on. Uh, let me just scroll down a bit. Uh, Thursday, twenty fifth of September. I don't know if I mentioned this in episode one, but they did a second appeal, and they oh yes, I did. They got a police cadet to come along who looked like it, and and to uh, to uh, marry up the route that Alice would have taken, uh, and they showed uh, footage of her crossing over that footbridge. It was also the next uh, the same day that they confirmed that Arnis was not a person of interest but a suspect uh commander gray mcnulty said arnis salkins is a suspect in her disappearance he is someone that we need to talk to two people have so far been arrested which i mentioned investigated and eliminated from this investigation we don't know any more about those two guys i kind of i kind of stumbled upon them when i was digging through everything but that's all i know uh arnis salkins is one uh, is one line in this fast-paced and ever-expanding investigation i stress there is no evidence that alice has come to harm that's true. At that point, they hadn't found her. All they'd found was the bag. But we are clearly very concerned for her welfare. I would urge everyone to be cautious about speculating on the exact involvement of Arnis Salkins or any other individual in relation to this investigation. It was a highly unusual step to name a suspect. 
yes. Oh no, that's that's my writing there. Sorry, I'm reading someone else's as mine. Yeah, I mean the police. Even they admitted normally they wouldn't do that. They wouldn't go. Uh, this is a person of interest. We're naming. Or normally they go. We're looking for a man who knew Alice or da 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 like that. But no, they 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 named him because they knew they need to find him because he was missing. As mentioned, 30 September, Alice's body is discovered. Uh, there was a coroner's trial, an inquest into uh, her her death on Friday the 10th of uh, October. Uh, a West London coroner's court. That was just a preliminary hearing. Uh, same for Arnis Salkins. That was on Monday the 13th into his death. So obviously her death was uh, a lawful murder. His was uh, death by suicide. Um the uh because he was dead uh they couldn't posthumously charge him uh so what they did they they had an inquest at the royal courts of justice uh this was uh happened on the uh, 27th of june uh, 2016 so actually not too long ago it lasted for about eight days there was a jury of eight men and three women um uh and uh, it was concluded that uh, Alice's death was consistent with uh, compression asphyxia, as mentioned. Is you got to feel really sorry for the family because they had to sit there through this whole thing and listen to listen to all the information about what happened in the case, and you know it must have been really traumatic. So I'm having to get my tea. Uh, they learned all about uh, how Zalkins was found. He was uh, found in the park, as mentioned before. You know, no one could no one could find him. The police had actually searched that area, but they couldn't find a body hanging in a tree. So that shows how dense the woodland would have been. Um, don't forget, if if it's if he's hanging from a tree, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily mean that he's up high on a tree and he's high and he's dangling. You can you can strangle yourself in about a multitude of different ways you can literally put something around your foot and something around your neck and then just pull that can do it do you know um you can you can hang from a foot not a foot well you can hang from a foot but you, you hang from a foot high as long as you have something up and it's um something's pulling against your neck do you know you can kill yourself that way you could be lying down I mean that's not hanging but you can still asphyxiate yourself that way uh so um so yeah, I mean he he could have been slumped somewhere low uh, amongst some bushes. So yeah, I, I did, 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 what else was there? Uh, let me just. There's that coot again. That coot has been a pain in the ass throughout this record. I wish he'd say something different. He just says meh meh all day long. Uh, let me just see. Um, there's quite an important thing that kind of came up after this uh that uh alice's family were, were, were keen obviously you know uh we'd had that earlier case on here uh andre uh kanowski the um uh the polish kind of child rapist murderer from acton so that's not too far away and then you've got this one there's another case that may be coming to murder mile soon that i've had to move because it's too close to this one and unfortunately they're all in uh kind of west ealing as well um so um they because this was time of the referendum and things like that on the EU and stuff like that um the parents quite right, rightly were worried that people were going to take this as a kind of an anti-EU thing and use this for their own political gain go going oh these bloody foreigners coming over here. uh so it was quite they 
they they made some really nice i won't read them all but uh, they made some nice statements about the fact that you know the whole purpose about the eu is to let people come in and out and yes there's yes we we have problems yes you know that the, the things should have been done and the, you know there should be checks made all the time but you know alice uh weirdly uh, not long before she died she'd actually uh wrote a little something for her school about the eu and the referendum and her her thoughts entirely were on it i'm trying to find it as i'm writing it uh, her thoughts on it were all, all kind of like people should be allowed kind of the freedom of movement they should be allowed to come to people should be allowed to come to our country just as we go to their country do you know we should we should be embracing each each other's kind of uh, uh cultures and styles and understanding and do you know what we have we have bad people in our own country as well as do you know other countries as well so do you know you're going to get good people you're going to get bad people you're going to get ambivalent people so uh you know, she was quite progressive in her thoughts so uh her, her parents uh of the same opinion wanted to respect her wishes as well and they went out of their way to say we don't want you the political parties because it was around that time of the referendum where people were getting nasty they were like we don't want you using our dead daughter for your political gain and you know some tosses like you know national front and people like that britain first were uh, using it because because oh, bloody foreigners but you know it, they're just uh, an insult to alice's memory um i didn't put that in the episode because i didn't want it to turn into a rant uh but it's out it's out there you can have a look at it uh there were some uh a little mistake made in the investigation unfortunately um uh one of the coroners i'm not too sure which one oh well, i do know i've got a name there but i'm not going to mention it um uh, in uh, inverted commas inadvertently disposed of a 30 page document on the evidence against chief suspect arnis salkins um the metropolitan police tried to recover the file but concluded it had probably been destroyed uh it it looks like it may have been left on a train uh embarrassing so uh what else was that and uh obviously uh mentioned in here we've got alice's funeral as well so it was a private funeral at hanwell cemetery uh which is not not too far from the Oxbridge Road and near her home. Uh, it was a, a British humanist funeral. Um, the first one was initially a, a private one. Uh, so we, the, the procession going through town with all the, the, the ribbons were there and people, the cars stopped and people were hats off and things like that. And then it, it made its way to a private ceremony. Um, on the car was, uh, as mentioned, a small yellow coffin um, brightly colored designs by her sister who was an aspiring artist um and all all kind of things that she she loved so uh uh who was it there was uh, paintings of her three cats and their dog um uh, which is painted by her grandmother and uh a, a, a scene of a meadow because obviously alice loved nature and things like that um so that was a funeral there was a reading uh of surprised by joy by wordsworth um and uh flags were flown at half master ealing town hall which is just up the road um and then about a week later there was a, a public memorial that was uh, a greenford town hall um and as mentioned uh there is the uh alice's uh alice's youth music memorial fund uh if you want to support that i think they've raised about about eighty three thousand pounds which is great but if 
it's always good to raise more so if you want to there's a there's a link in the show notes to this and the previous episode as well um uh 27th of january 2015 it was announced that charges would have been brought uh against murder suspect arnis salkins if he had lived uh the Crown Prosecution Service said that the case would have been based on cir- circumstantial evidence, uh, not forensic or eyewitnesses. Uh, so circumstantial, so not definite that he he would have been uh, definitely found guilty, but I think there's enough there. Anyway, that's out. I haven't even had my macaroon or my tea yet. I just did one swig of tea. Right, this is going to be a long day because I am... Uh, I'm very behind after this eye infection, so I'm going to try and edit this in two days as opposed to three. <sighs> Good luck. Right, that's me done. Hope you all enjoy that. Uh, next week's is a single episode. There's a couple of doubles in here. Uh, there are going to be some doubles in the in this season. Why? Because uh, some some stories need to be told in two parts. They, they they have to be it's kind of you know i need to set something up there and then conclude it there some there's you're gonna hate it the end of the year there's gonna there's an eight-parter so uh you know there's a there'll be there's a four-parter in here as well so uh get used to it <laughs> that's all i'm gonna say get used to it um anyway next week is a one-parter so uh everyone can enjoy that one uh cool that's me done oh my nose is really dry I just because I spent five days blowing it. Ugh, horrible. Right, that's me done. Uh, no more talking about snotting and eye infections. Uh, more talking about macaroons. Anyway, that's good. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Stay safe. Be good. Uh, and hope to hear from you all soon. Be good. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.